Thanks for tuning in to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 63. I'm Jenny Melzer. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. Each and every week on the Roundtable Podcast, we bring writers onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we pull it apart like so many bales of straw. We sit down at our spinning wheels, cackle maniacally like Rumpelstiltskin, and spin those story ideas into literary gold. Literary gold. Brilliant metaphor, Jenny. Thank you. That's awesome. Yes, we are the Rumpelstiltskin of the podcast set. We really are. That's awesome. Jenny, thank you so much for stepping up and being my my, my wing person uh, uh, for this episode. It's a real pleasure to share the mic with you, ma'am. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is really fun. Now, now when we were talking about this earlier you were saying that you you used to do this a lot yeah <laughs> oh, she said with regret in her voice i used to do this um every week i had a podcast called pod catterday that we just kind of sat down and and rapped about movies and video games and tv shows and all kinds of nonsense <laughs> and, then, and then it drifted away um it just i don't know a lot of stuff went on and it just got to be too much and Light. i gave it up Life starts lifing. I, yes. I know all too well how that works. Well, well, maybe you know, maybe this stint as guest co-host will will inject ten cc's of the potosphere back into your bloodstream, and it we'll might. we'll get you back on the potosphere. That'll be awesome. Uh, so, but and speaking of awesome, uh, we have our guest host waiting in the wings, and and I would love to bring him on and get this ball rolling. Is that all right with you, ma'am? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, dear friends, returning from the twenty minutes with of a week ago, where we learned so much about oh my goodness, horror collaboration, time management, and a veritable cornucopia of other awesomeness. Uh, please welcome back to the big chair here at the round table, David Annandale. David, thanks for coming back and and. And being willing to brainstorm a story with us. This is going to be awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now, David, before we dive into this, uh, uh, I, I have no doubt. I mean, we learned at the, in, during the 20 minutes with that, that you're on your fourth book of 2014 already, which is awesome. Uh, I can only assume there's more on the on the agenda. Uh, so would you would you share with our with our listeners what's coming up for David Annandale? Well, um, in fact, uh, I'm just going to first maybe cast my mind back just about a month because uh, I've had, uh, or a bit more than that, I've had three books come out since April. Oh my God. Uh, so that would be uh, my first uh, Sebastian Yarick uh, novel, uh, Yarick Imperial Creed. That was followed at the beginning of July by Overfiend, which uh, is a, a collection of three linked novellas. Uh, of, of Space Marine Battles. At the end of July, beginning of August, my first Horus Heresy novel came out, The Damnation of Pythos. And uh, about a week or so later, a gray, short Grey Knights novel, Maledictus, hit the stand. So that's been uh, my, my kind of spring and summer. And I'm currently working on the uh, second uh, Yarrick novel. Uh, so that's uh, going to be consuming me for the next few months. Oh my goodness! Well, now and 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 you know clearly you have hit your stride in the in the black library canon. Uh, but I I know that you you've dabbled in other genres and have other uh, fortes within the writerly spheres. Are you pursuing any other projects? Yeah, there's a couple of uh, short stories that I've got out there, and uh, we'll see what um, uh, what comes of them. And uh, on the side, uh, I'm also uh, working up the uh, sequel to Gethsemane Hall, uh, which uh, uh, will, will be titled Hellfall. And uh, so that's uh, uh, we're, we're kind of in, in outline uh, state there, almost ready to go. And uh, and there's a a, a fantasy. Uh, uh, project uh, that's a little more embryonic uh, that uh, I hope to get going uh, uh, over, over the course of this year as well. Outstanding. Outstanding. Dabbling in all the genres here. <laughs> now, I know you just went to, was it Convergence this year? 
Yeah, I was down there, got to meet in person uh, some of my uh, cohorts from the Skiffy and Fanti uh, show. <laughs> so uh, so our uh, our Lord and Master, Sean Duke. Uh, I also got to meet uh, uh, Paul Weimer and uh, Mike Underwood. Ah, yes. Along with uh, a, a, a host of, uh, of authors down there. So, in fact, they're still spinning out some of the, um, putting up some of the podcasts that we did uh, at Convergence. So, uh, yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun. Now, are you going to be attending any other conventions in the, in 2014? Um, I think that's pretty well. I think that's it for 2014, as far as I know. Uh, so it was that did that Adepticon and uh, was uh, out in May for the uh, Horus Heresy Weekender in Nottingham. Uh, I think uh, 2014 is the rest of that's going to be uh, knuckling down to the uh, to getting the books out and uh, uh, doing the uh, uh, doing the day job at uh, uh, soon. <laughs> Uh, going to be actually uh, teaching a course on fantasy film this fall. So, oh, very cool! Is that yeah. that's new for you? Yeah, that's the first time I've taught that one. Uh, so, yeah, we're getting going with that next week. Broadening the minds of Winnipeg's youth, or destroying them, as the case, <laughs> as the case may be, <laughs> infecting them certainly one way or another. Jenny, real quick, I know you've got stuff in the in the hopper. What do you got coming up? Oh uh, well, I've actually got a book that um, is coming out on the 9th of September. Really? Uh, the second the second book in the Serpent of Time series following Edgelanders, it's called um, Sorrow's Peak. Oh, I've seen the covers for that. It's gorgeous. Yeah, Starla Hutchton did the covers. <laughs> and I'm sure the text inside is of equal gloriosity. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true writer. I think, I think it is, but you know, you know what it's like. You finish it and you send it out into the world, and it's like sending your children out to college. It's scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Although I tend to send mine with powered armor and a laser gun. Uh, nope. So I, I, I tend not to worry about them that much. Um, what about con appearances for you, Jenny? Um, I did not get to make it to any of the cons this year. Uh, what about next year? I'm hoping. I'd, I'd really like to go. Um, I want to go to Dragon Con next year, definitely. Uh, yes. All right. Well, dear friends, I will make sure that all of that awesomeness gets tucked tightly into the liner notes uh, so that uh, uh, all of our, our listeners that visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com uh, can click on those and see all of that gloriosity. Uh, but right now, I'd like to take a pause and give some time to to an awesome, another awesome podcast or, or perhaps an ebook or, or some other bit of media fabulosity that's being put out there in the potosphere. And when we come back, I want to workshop a story. What do you say? Yay. <laughs> I agree. Yay. I think that's a, that's a good response. Dear friends, don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. Mankind was denied the stars. All attempts to break the speed of light failed horribly until one small ship faced with certain death again dared the impossible. An unprepared crew trapped around a dying sun beneath a sea of alien stars, and they're not alone. Read or listen to this serialized science fiction adventure at servingworlds.com. Welcome to Far Lost. Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the real goodness. The, the, the spinning of straw into gold, as my co-host Jenny Milzer so aptly put at the beginning of the episode. The brainstorming session proper. And this doesn't happen, all of this fabulosity doesn't happen, unless we have a, a bold and courageous, creative and courageous guest writer to step forward and put their baby on the examining table for, for analysis, assessment, and story. Now, our, our guest writer for this week, his true origins are lost in the quantum mysteries of time and space, uh, but he currently resides in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he records entirely too many podcasts and plays literally an impossible number of tabletop role-playing games. Uh, now, he has had fantasy and science fiction tales appear in From the Dark Side and the Farrago Charity Anthologies, a grim fairy tale inspired horror story in Mocha Memoirs Presses in the Bloodstream Anthology, an urban fantasy spy story in Battlefield Presses Anthology Tales from the Front, set in an alternate World War I-era world of their tabletop RPG setting, Kaiser's Gate, and a book of comedic monologues entitled Abduction Edit. He continues to act silly in public whenever appropriate, although the criteria for that seems to be a very fluid restraint. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, Master Jim Ryan. Jim, 
It's never easy, bud. I know it. And yet you are something of a veteran of the brainstorming session. So I think you're going to be just fine. But thank you, sir, for bringing your story for consideration. We appreciate it, man. Uh, thank you. And greetings, writer folk. <laughs> greetings, writer folk, whatever you are. So, <laughs> well, Jim, I, I want to get into this. So let's just dive in. Well, actually, OK, real quick. Top three podcasts that you're recording right now. Go. OK, uh, we have my regular thing, which is the Jim. Yes, that Jim podcast, which is just my uh, my monthly uh, brain dump, right. uh, which is accessible at Jim. Yes, that Jim dot com. Uh, I have Crucible of Realms where uh, I get together with my friends and uh, we also have rotating guests and they and we build a world together each episode mm-hmm. and uh, that I'm uh, steadily working toward releasing new episodes on. That's at Crucible of Realms dot com. And uh, I. <laughs> Get the bell out. Yep. And uh, I also uh, do a podcast with a couple of friends of mine uh, who actually they're the primary uh, hosts of it. But I just sort of am the guy who hangs out and acts silly. A podcast called Transmissions from the Ninth World, which is about the tabletop role playing game Numenera. Outstanding. And and where can we find that one? That you can find at transmissionsninthworld.blogspot.com. Dot com. All right. I will make sure those links get into the, into the liner notes because nobody's going to have written that down. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> All right, Jim. Now, you have a story for us, so let's dive into that bad boy. I'm, I'm eager to start the brainstorm. So we're going to give you five to eight minutes. Uh, give us the title, the format. Is it a short story, a novel, a series of novels? Uh, uh, give us the, the thematic core of the story that you want to tell. Uh, introduce us to the world, the primary characters, the antagonists, protagonists, and uh, uh, some basic tent poles of the story to, to feed our brainstorming froth. I'm, I'm getting out of the way, sir. The mic is all yours. Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> this is a novel. The working title is Life in Virtual Hell. Uh, The genre is cyber horror, but possibly not. Really, in many ways, it's a tragedy. Here's the hook. Trapped in a hellscape of his own design, a tormented genius must find the one who has tampered with his creation to escape it. Uh, The major themes are that you are your own worst enemy, and you are also your own best audience. Uh, The easiest person to fool is yourself. Uh, a little bit about the world. Well, it's hell, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> it's a version of hell modeled loosely on Dante's Inferno in that there are nine levels. Uh, but there's a bunch of influence from many other popular depictions of hell from art, literature, cartoons, video games, basically anything I could think of, including the kitchen sink. Um, I am using the tri-satanic model of rulership for hell. Uh, this hell is ruled by the three princes, Mephistopheles, Beelzebub, and Lucifer. Lucifer is actually missing when this story takes place, so he does not appear in the book, but uh, the other two are definitely present. The main character uh, is a gentleman who calls himself Smith. That is not his real name. Um, actually, I haven't come up with a real name for him yet, though I'm not thinking that I'm going to be revealing his name in the uh, in the book, but uh, it is uh, uh, that, that's what he goes by. He is a computer programmer. Um, his username is Prometheus. He also uses that quite a lot. He is a programmer for a company called Encom in a near future in which wireless cybernetic implants are common. He has a wireless neural interface that can hijack all of his senses, and that's how he enters virtual reality. He's a visionary determined to bring his world-changing projects to the masses, whether they're ready for them or not, and to drag them kicking and screaming, if necessary, into the future. He is arrogant, brilliant, playful, with a wicked sense of humor, and often impatient. He is always seeking the truth, but excellent at lying to himself. He is hiding from his pain. He had love, but he has lost it forever. And he thinks he wants it back, but, uh, you know, he will settle for ultimate knowledge if he can get it. He is his own antagonist. He is going to find out that he is ultimately responsible for everything that happens to him. Um, In the story, he has a number of companions that uh, follow him along the way, and we'll get into those a little bit later, but also of note, Rachel, Smith's wife. She is another programmer, and she has a threefold appearance in Hell. Uh, There are three versions of her running around. Uh, The first one resembles Queen Elizabeth I quite a bit, and that version is... uh, terrified of him every time she sees him. It's uh, very clear she has a very visceral emotional reaction to him. The second version appears as Persephone, uh, the mythological figure, and incidentally wife of the god Pluto. Uh, She is much more reasonable and is willing to talk to Smith 
uh, about his problems and things that are going on, and she thinks she might know him from somewhere, but can't quite place him. And the third version I haven't come up with yet, but I'm going to have a lot of fun figuring that out. Um, also in Hell, there are a number of other mythological figures that uh, he's going to stumble across. Uh, another character that shows up is called Big Jake. He is a high-stakes gambler that Smith meets in an eternally burning casino up on level one. Jake is a Texan. I've essentially just based him on Slim Pickens. It was an excuse to put Slim Pickens in the story uh, at first when I came up with him. Uh, he shows up mysteriously on multiple levels, and there's a chance he may be Hercules. Um, there's another character called Mr. Khan. This uh, guy may or may not be Alistair Crowley. He runs a bar near Pandemonium, Hell's capital city, over by the River Styx. The bar is called the Arcane Haven, and that's a place Smith will often find himself wandering back to whenever he hits a dead end. Before finding this bar, it's all fun and games to Smith, but this is a place that he knows he never created. So when he comes across it, that raises the stakes for him and makes him believe he's facing an adversary who is tampering with his creation. Now, the story so far, as I've got it plotted out here, Smith awakens inside the virtual interface for NCOM's mainframe, but for some reason can't pull up the virtual console to disconnect and get out. His memory is fuzzy, but he recalls having arguments with his wife, Rachel, and his boss, Terry, at the company Christmas party, then going up to his cubicle and jacking into the system. He remembers nothing afterward. The landscape is barren, save for a rotating glass door leading to his program, Dante's Gate, a model of hell he's secretly been working on in his spare time. Realizing that he can get the system to kick him back out into reality if he goes through Dante's Gate to the exit, he enters the program and starts working his way through the nine levels to find his way out. Then a number of things happen. At one point, he goes on a mission for Pluto, the Roman god of the underworld, who here lives in a post-apocalyptic version of Manhattan's financial district, surrounded by a greenish swamp infested with fishmen. And uh, in exchange for doing this mission, Pluto will give him access to the lower levels, where he needs to go to get out. The mission requires finding a thief named Valeria, who also happens to be a succubus, and retrieving Pluto's stolen property from her. Now, he succeeds at getting the property, but he loses Valeria. She travels with Smith for a while, but is captured by Beelzebub's forces. Losing her makes Smith realize he's begun to care about what happens to people in this virtual hell. Now, on his way back to see Pluto, Smith befriends a misshapen humanoid bird creature whom he calls Geiger. Um, he inadvertently destroys her home as a result of breaking a bargain he makes with her, and she follows him from then on out. When he gets back to Pluto, Pluto gives him safe passage but uh, to the lower levels, but not access to them, because he brought back the property, but not the thief. Persephone, however, uh, Pluto's wife, takes pity on him in, and gives him another mission to go up and save the bard Orpheus from the Desert Wastes on level 2, where Pluto has sentenced him to wander, and in exchange for that, she will give him access to the lower levels. Geiger, as it turns out, also likes Orpheus's music and will release Smith from his debt to her if Orpheus is saved. And while on the mission to save Orpheus, Smith realizes that he's enjoying himself here in Hell more than in his life as a programmer. A few points that I want to hit in this story. Um, Smith has made a deal with a monk who at some point will turn out to be Mephistopheles in disguise, and he's going to end up in Mephistopheles's pocket. Um, after using the Prometheus name too many times, Smith will end up captured and chained to a rock in the lava-filled caverns of level 3 and have his liver torn out multiple times. Uh, during this time, Smith will come to understand the price of overreaching and assuming his superiority. Um, at some point, he may end up in, the, in the, a place called the Pit, uh, a terrible, terrible place, rescuing Valeria from Beelzebub and finally taking responsibility for his actions. And now, spoilers! I'm going to tell you what's really happening. I'm going to give away the ending here uh, so that you'll have a foundation uh, of what's really going on. At the end, when Smith gets to where the exit should be, it's not going to be there. Because, as it turns out, Smith is dead. And he is really in hell. This version of hell, yeah, this version of hell is in fact where he, where he most wants to be. Um, as it turns out, Rachel had an affair with his boss, Terry. Terry killed Smith, and then Rachel killed herself, which is why she's showing up in hell. Hmm. Every time he sees a version of her, Smith realizes more and more that he has lost her until the reality of the situation dawns on him at the end. And at that point, he accepts his fate, deciding it is better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. Dun, dun, dun. Awesome. <laughs> Very cool, Jim. Now, before we go any further, uh, what do you want to get out of this workshop, man? What should we focus on? 
Well, I, I had the uh, a number of I had a number of targets that I kind of want to hit, uh, but uh, it's this is all very fluid. So mostly, I'm just looking for awesome ideas, ways of. Uh, I've got a general path I want to take, but I'd I'd like to explore ways to get there. Okay, okay. I, I think we can, I think we can find a a few paths through hell. I think uh, this ensemble <laughs> is is uniquely qualified to find those paths. Well, so long as there are good intentions. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we're paved, as it were. Very good. Uh, before we go any further, Jenny, would you be so kind as to deliver the patented roundtable podcast disclaimer? You bet. Awesome. All right, Jim, you're about to be inundated with ideas, a veritable deluge of possibilities and what ifs. It's vital that you understand that everything you hear from me, Dave, and David might be complete bullshit. This is your story. <laughs> this is your story to write, and only you can decide what's best for it. All right? Understood. Very all right. good. All right. So that dis- with that disclaimer, we're all off the hook. Woo! Awesome. Yay! <laughs> all right. Well, as is customary at the round table, we usually start with a quick once around the table just to uh, pose some questions of clarification uh, and also uh, uh, touch on the, the key things that work and maybe some things that we, we want to touch on later on in the workshop. So we will defer to our guest host. So David Ennendale, what are your first impressions of Jim's story? story pitch life in virtual hell and do you have any questions for him yeah i've got a, a few I mean, first uh one of the things that uh really struck me was when you talk about him being his own uh smith being his own worst enemy and his best audience i that i really liked the idea of him being his his own best audience and uh that struck me as something that uh uh you could really run with a um, couple of uh, sort of uh, uh, questions. Uh, one regarding both the, the, the title and, and in some ways the premise. I'm hearing an influence of uh, life on Mars. Is that um, would that be fair to say? You know, um, that that might be subconscious. I hadn't thought about it uh, that way um, because I, I came up with the concept uh, years before I ever saw life on Mars. But uh, yeah, you know, now, now that you've mentioned it, it's uh, that 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 could be the case. <laughs> So I just sort of mentioned that, and the the other um, now I don't know if this is an influence or not, but um, if it isn't, you might at least want to um, have a look at it so that it uh, you don't have uh, too many unintentional overlaps. And that's uh, uh, Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell's Inferno mm. and Escape from Hell, uh, mm. which um, have uh, I, 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 have you read uh, either of those? Um, no, I haven't. The reason that this this jumped out at me is that the well have Inferno. It's, so it, we have a science fiction writer who dies and goes to hell, but he doesn't think it's hell. He thinks it's uh, some kind of futuristic amusement park uh, oh, wow. uh, uh, that he de- decides is called Inferno Land. Uh, that somebody has recreated Dante's hell, and so for most of the book, he's convinced that this he he, does, he doesn't think this is real. So the the reveal that you described at the end reminded me a little bit of um, of that. That uh, and the uh, anyway, the, 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 there was there was a couple of overlaps. So obviously, this is not in your background. You might want to have a look at it. Sure, um, absolutely. As so, it, it, it may be something that you might want to in, in order to differentiate yourself further from. Yeah, um, good point. Since since that uh, that struck me. Uh, just uh, I, I don't want to uh, go overboard here uh, to start with, but uh, I guess the, the last thing I wanted to. Um, so two, two quick things then. One, you call this cyber horror, yet in your description of it, it felt um, a lot more, uh, I don't know if I want to say comic exactly, but lighter than, uh, th- th- than that. It didn't sound outright horrific, and so it felt to me like maybe the story was going in uh, uh, in, in a lighter direction than it, that particular it had a, it had suggest. like a Pratchett or a Glenn Cook feel to it. Yeah, it, so, it may so, totally go there. <laughs> uh, and the the other thing I, I'd want to flag uh, now and perhaps we'll come back to later is uh, the, the the female characters I'm worried are going to become too much simply a, um, uh, a, a means to the end of developing Smith's character. Mm. And since the, we are establishing this as hell itself, uh, and even if even concealing that, uh, and, and uh, I think there are ways of giving them stronger arcs so that they are their own characters mm-hmm. rather than uh, possibly being viewed as just fragments or 
I, if, if, uh, we can go into that later. Yeah, good points. Excellent points. I, I would like to do that, yes. Yeah. Jennifer, what do you have? Um, I one of my I had a little concern when you were talking about the wife um, that first of all she was appearing as three different sort of archetypes and it just felt like it was almost too much like why why were you dividing her into three different people instead of keeping her the same you know like through and through and then I, I mean you said that she didn't she doesn't know who he is. But he uh, knows who she is. Yes, uh, okay. one of the versions. Yeah, uh, well, it's part of it has to do with the way that uh, the afterlife plays with your memory. Um, okay. But uh, one one version of her does not recognize him. Um, I haven't decided whether any of the versions he meets are really her or not. Okay. Um, so that's still totally up in the air. What what story function does that serve for you, Jim? Uh, mostly, I mean, a lot of it has to do with him really getting in touch with his human side. And uh, it, it does, right now it does serve uh, to a certain extent um, Smith's development. Uh, it uh, gives him a reason to want to be, uh, or, or at least a reason he thinks he wants to be making his way to the exit. Um, so that's, uh, it, it's meant to be motivational. Um, I do want to develop her character separately though as her own thing. Okay. Okay. And so that's the, I, I think a lot of that's going to be the third version of her that uh, is going to be probably actually who she is. So you have the wife character being sort of the motivation for him to get to the exit? Like yes, that, that's that's the driving force. That at him. least yeah, at least early on he thinks that he that what he believes is that yes, I I've, I've got to get back for her if for nothing else. Okay. And what's her motivation? Ah, well, <laughs> this is an excellent question because I had not decided that yet. Now, this could be something we can, we can, one of the most awesome powers here at the round table is the what if. Uh, and as we dive deeper into the, into the workshop proper, uh, I, I heartily encourage everyone to toss out some what ifs. Uh, uh, to, to provide some tentative uh, tent poles we can hang our hats on uh, and maybe shore up some of the some of the waffling bits that we've encountered. So Jenny, anything else that you wanted to, to touch on before we roll forward? I love I love the idea of it, but it feels really busy. <laughs> yeah, I'm very, yeah. very busy. There's so much going on that and, and I mean, I've read a lot of your stuff, so I know that you can brilliantly pull it together. but <laughs> that being said, there is just so much going on that I honestly had a hard time weaving it all together into a single story. It felt like several different stories maybe taking place in the same world, yeah. not a single story. I, I got that. I got that vibe as well. Yeah, there were there was so much. Yeah, there did feel like a lot, um, almost like uh, sort of the, the the different missions of a video game. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Uh, which there's some yeah. possibilities that occur to me there, but uh, it's feeling very, very picaresque, which, you know, that, that that can work. But boy, there's a lot to draw together. Well, and I guess that's that's, you know, Jim, that's that's I guess that's my big question is, is that there are you, you've pre you presented a very broad spectrum of story within this very narrow pitch uh, uh, that, it you know, cyber horror or it might be a Pratchett-esque romp. Or it might be a deep psychological uh, uh, horror. It might be a tragedy. It might be a comedy. What do you want it to be? Uh, this is an excellent question as well. Um, <laughs> I I should say that uh, I was uh, I started off pantsing this in 2011. Basically, I I, I was I wanted to tackle something for NaNoWriMo that year, and uh, I wanted to uh, at the last minute I decided to do this concept. Um, and, uh, I figured I can go ahead and pants it because you know, make it up as I go along because of the nature of the setting. So I did that. And so a good portion of the stuff that I read out to you, um, resulted from that. So there is a crap load of imagery in there that, uh, I'm not sure what all of it means yet. And I'm still working it out. So, uh, uh, 
much like the warning you gave me, a, a good portion of the, the of what I have read to you may be bullshit. Well, let, let, then let's let's Jim, you 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 chill for just a second. Let Jenny, David, and I talk for just a second. Um, uh, David, what what would you you know? And again, this is part of the reason why we have three or more people involved in the roundtable to get a different aesthetic and and take on a story idea. So so David, feel free to to. Uh, step out and, and say what would you if you were writing this and you're not but if you mm-hmm. were what would you like to see happen how would you how would you wrap this up in a bow what kind of story would it be um i guess it is feeling uh i'm hmm. I, I i guess the closer to the romp in uh, if if it, something like that would accommodate uh, all the different possibilities in hell, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, I guess it, it feels like it, it it wants to be fairly fun. That doesn't mean we can't have a um, so this is some in depth characterization. Sure. But I think the more elements the, uh, from various mythologies come in, the more uh, of, of of a mosaic of everything this hell becomes, the more. The, the 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 funnier it will become, or it's the, the the lighter this version of hell will will be. Okay. Uh, so I, I guess I I'm leaning that way. Okay, Jenny, what about you? What 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 is your instinct telling you that this this story could be that you'd like to take it down? Well. I mean, I think because I I know Jim, <laughs> it makes it a little harder because Jim sorry. is a funny guy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> True enough. Um, Jim enough. is a funny guy, and that is what most people expect from him. But on the other hand, he can be very, very deep, and he can take comedy and depth and blend them together really well. And that is what I would like to see. Okay. I mean, I, if I were Jim, that's what I would do. I'm, I'm kind of ag- agreeing with with both of you. I, 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 again, I know Jim somewhat well, and and have have brainstormed with him in the past. And and yes, he is a very funny guy, and has that that comedic sense. Uh, uh, but if if we're in hell, and and this guy is ultimately coming to the realization that he belongs here, that's a powerful character arc. And mm. while we can romp and and have all kinds of of wacky zany fun along the way, I I would very much like to see a, a, a through line of uh, uh, startling moments. You know, like in Jaws, you know. Spielberg always made sure there was a laugh line right before the the shark showed up because laughter drops the defenses. Uh, uh, and I, I could see that tactic being used many, many times in here where laugh, laugh, laugh. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, crap. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so that said, then uh, moving forward, then let's what, one of the things that I would like to see if we can identify, I, I think uh, uh both David and Jenny referenced the the uh, questions about the not only Rachel the wife character but just the female characters in general and and I think I think that definitely needs some attention uh, if nothing else to clarify what it is that we're actually doing there I, I can see the, the the three faces of Rachel serving as a kind of of scourge and goad a, a harsh mirror put up against uh, uh, Smith's perspectives of of marriage of rachel in general of women in general uh, uh and could paint could not only serve to paint him as as of the villain that he is uh, uh but also serve as as a, a kind of catharsis uh a, a rude awakening but let's explore that but also i'd like to see some kind of structure because because right now it's like we've got you know a number of things happen and then the mission to pluto and then this and then that <laughs> and and it it seems like there there, there needs to be a, a a kind of a layered structure a series of progressions you know yeah they might feel like like video game objectives but something that raises the stakes incrementally something you know one thing i noticed that's missing is a ticking clock uh, uh, and something something that would impel uh, 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 action besides just gosh I really want to get out of hell. Uh, not that that's not a good motivation, uh, but but something that we could incorporate in there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna toss out a what if, um, and and throw in a, a possibility. And I don't know if this is gonna fly or not, but I, I'm wondering if we can weave in and maybe even in an epistolary manner. Uh, uh, interludes between the chapters, uh, maybe from a police report, uh, uh, an investigation into Smith 
that could serve as kind of a, a background into certain aspects of his life that then are used as like a, maybe a springboard or an illustrative component to his uh, occurrences in hell and then tying it up at the end with it, it, this investigation actually being a murder investigation and that he's the one who's been murdered. Mm. So I like that. Nice. Just, just, just a, a thought that could, cause, cause there's, there's a lot of, uh, there would be a lot of guesswork on the part of the the reader in terms of what these various hellish aspects uh, uh, represent in the context of him, because hell is all about him. Uh, uh, you know, never mind that that you know that the, the, the conceit is at the beginning that he created this, uh, but that ultimately he's he's going to rule in hell, uh, or or at least be here and be happy about it. So so that's. You know, we, we need some sort of progression of I need to go out here. The try fail cycle, I guess, is what I'm getting at and mm-hmm. maybe identifying those. I'm, I'm rambling. I put it out to the table. Uh, uh, what, 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 what can we focus on to help give some structure to this? I have a, a what if, too. Please, um, please. Um, you have said that, you know, you've got um, Beelzebub. But not Satan, Lucifer, <laughs> you know, it's not Lucifer. not Lucifer. So, I mean, is Smith Lucifer or what? is Lucifer sort of that thing that Dave mentioned could be sort of pushing the clock that maybe Lucifer is coming? The, the answer to that is very complicated. Um, <laughs> if you like, I, I will tell know. you. If you <laughs> like, I will you know tell you. I'm... But the, the, if you like, I will tell you. But there are words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can, can you summarize briefly? Um, I mean, the, the, shortest possible, yes. the shortest possible answer to the question is yes. Okay. <laughs> can you give us five more words? Um, Smith will become Lucifer. Okay, bam. Okay, so, That's all we need. So we have this whole ticking clock aspect that we need this, this sense of motion pushing us towards this something more than just I need to get to the exit. So what if this, this realization that that's what he's becoming is sort of a, a motivating force. Yeah. But that should be something that doesn't, that doesn't get realized until probably act two or even yeah, at the end of act two. Yeah. Well, uh, not realization so much as little snippets of, of moments where, yeah. he, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Where so he, where like, he executes command over the area and, 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 you know, lesser beings actually respond to his commands or something. Right. Sort of like what we were talking about on the last episode with the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yes. Where he, you know, he has these moments of of very brief actualization that fade almost as quick as they come. Oh, it, it seems to me there, too, uh, the... We're, we're moving. What becomes important, therefore, is the um, his realization of what he wants to do or uh, what what is right for him. And the question of whether this is a uh, a program, a simulation, or hell itself becomes increasingly less important. Mm-hmm. So, which I think might actually be a good thing. Uh, that rather than save the reveal that oh, this actually is hell for the end, uh, dispense with that. Um, you know, maybe by the end of Act Two at the latest. So that uh, we know what it is, uh, by by, or we know that we know that it's that the, 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 this is playing for keeps. Good, um, yeah, that raises the stakes. Gotcha. And and so, what does his motivation become once once that revelation is there? It's like, holy crap, this isn't a simulation; it's really hell. Uh, uh, does does he does he work the I, I I need to get out of here card, or or what drives him forward at that point? Cause I like that. It's, it's, it, it does change the whole story at that point, but what does the story become? I've got a, I've got a what if myself to toss in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. So, uh, since the, um, in the the initial stage, he's not he's encountering things that he hasn't created. Like, he assumes everything he's seeing, if I understand correctly, is somehow his doing, right? Yes. Um, well, Initially. what, and and then then he's got to come up with explanations as to okay well why okay some of this I didn't have anything to do with or at least don't believe I did so what might what else might be happening here what if this program that he has created or is very much responsible for is something that is intended to be an MMO so this means that he might you know see the other characters as actual characters in a way other players 
if this is supposed to be something that he's been wanting to bring to the world, right? The 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 ultimate in a a realized um, MMO. I, I don't want to push that too far because I know that's been done before, uh, but. But 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 something where he can where he'll start to um, assume the other people are actually other people uh, other other psyches. Uh, this would also uh, be a way of I think uh, developing Rachel's character and that that that, that of the the other well the other characters and particularly mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the women so that they have their own arcs they their their own agendas what the, their characters are trying to do, and if he by the end has. Um, you know, decides that this is what he, what he wants to be, be where he wants to to do it. Maybe something similar is happening um, with with Rachel, right? I mean, maybe her division into three uh, characters, if you still want to do that, has nothing to do with Smith. This is what she is is dealing with, and then <laughs> she rather has than, alts. <laughs> well, no, no, no wait, no, wait. No, no. How about this? How about the, the ticking clock? Is Rachel isn't fully in hell yet? That 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 she has she's committed suicide. She's kind of like in this transitional state, and only Lucifer, aka Smith, can save her. So she's in a coma. Oh no, she's 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 just still transitioning. Exactly, exactly. It does kind of damselize her, though. That's true. Um, That's uh, true. Yeah, I I do want to avoid that if I can. Well, yeah, because I I mean, she was, she, I don't know, she was committing suicide and she was having an affair yeah that's so that's you don't want to damselize her at all i mean she's sort of like a villain unto herself she doesn't have to have the affair the affair is is not set in stone no. we can rewrite that part of the story well i mean what if the, the i guess the the the, the this, her suicide made me uneasy as well uh, i mean we, we you could i think easily have a situation where you know i don't know a gas explosion takes everybody out uh and so i i guess just to, to further this what if uh, uh for a moment this this world this this uh, universe in which they are um uh existing Smith sees it as as a, a variation of Dante's Hell and other mythological underworlds, but maybe Rachel is seeing it as something else, right? Why is she, why Queen Elizabeth uh, yeah. and and uh, for, for example, uh, is she, uh, if this really is the afterlife, and maybe we don't have a heaven and a hell, maybe there's just this, uh, you know, and and what you and what you make of it. Sure, a virtual and construct so, that we all create. So Smith makes it's still a version of hell that he has created, but maybe Rachel is uh, is creating something else uh, that uh, will be right Ooh. for her. Ooh, nice! And then and then there's you know maybe maybe she's oh god maybe she's cre- destroying the construct through maybe you know her her purity of spirit, her her hope, her whatever whatever those aspects are, those those virtues that she has uh, is is a disrupt disruptive force. And she's carving and creating, as you, as you said, David, this this other afterlife that other people are being drawn to. or even even if there's not a um, a um, uh, it might not even have to be dist- destructive in that way, or at least uh, you or can imagine a kind of yeah. And you can imagine a resolution where he um, uh, realizes, you know, he he at least perceives himself to be happy as ruler of this hell, but it's still hell, right? She may now be elsewhere in what she has constructed, which is right for her, and she's not there anymore. Uh, or he doesn't no longer has a, a a perception of her. So you have this this ambiguity at the end where, um, yeah, he's reigning in hell, but it's hell. Because uh, if he has been, if he the way you described his character, um, he's really the antagonist. Yes, mm-hmm. I like that. I oh, really great. like that. And and the idea that that the afterlife is is what we make it. I mean. Jim, there's an opportunity here to make all kinds of intriguing, you know, social commentaries that oh, like yeah. because, you know, the world in general, people have become jaded and 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 despondent and despairing of, of hope. And so the afterlife has become a hellish place just by <laughs> virtue of that. And that Rachel could actually be the redemption of the world if Smith can get to the point where he can embrace her. And, you know, maybe they fought like cat and, cats and dogs, but there's, you know, in, in because they are so meant for each other, 
Uh, and in the end, the final choice is, do I let go of my anger and my frustration and my pride and go and embrace Rachel and in doing so, create a, a, a cooler heaven for the whole universe? Or do I keep this polarity of us versus them, good versus evil? And, you know, the choice that he makes at the end determines whether it's an uplifting tale or a tragedy. Ah, yeah, I, I was I was even starting to think maybe uh, part of the what, what he's trying to do at the end is let her go. <laughs> well, yeah, and th- that could be yeah. that could be the, dis- the the discussion as well. I, g- I guess now that we have some dynamics in play and some stakes on the table, now you can start you know working in terms of of confrontation and and thwarted desires and objectives within that context. Yeah. The other the other thing that occurred to me was uh, uh, the fact that he was creating a virtual hell and the fact that he is Lucifer is kind of cool because, you know, especially as you in the opening of the story, if he is Lucifer and he is trying to create hell as a as a mortal, the shell for Lucifer, then his virtual creations would actually manifest and create in the actual tangible afterlife. Yes. Uh, so, so that explains why the hell of his virtual world is actually the hell of existence. Now, where is Lucifer? What if uh. Terry, his boss, is Lucifer? <laughs> what, what if it's time? He, he's, he's, you know, and I don't want to go on a whole Neil Gaiman uh, Sandman riff, but what if it, it's it's time to change the mantle? We need a new Lucifer. And, and this prick, Smith, is perfect for the job. Uh, uh, you know, maybe Terry is this, this you know, voracious, you know, Wolf of Wall Street asshole uh, uh, and, and, and has decided to nominate his protege, Smith, as his inheritor. And then you can have Terry represented in sort of shadows and echoes in there to tempt and lure him. You know, maybe Terry is, maybe it's a triumvirate. Maybe Terry is Beelzebub and Mephistopheles and Lucifer, but Lucifer is the cohesive apex of that trinity. I love this idea. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. What else? What else? Where else? Where else can we go, guys? This is this is awesome. So you have the the side quests that you had. Yes. <laughs> do Do you feel like they're really necessary? It's a good question. Um, I mean, uh, I don't. I don't know that any of what uh, what what I've had happen is necessary per se. Um, it's. Uh, as far as his path goes, he needs to have certain beats of realization, but those can come from things other than the side quests, quote unquote, if necessary. I mean, um, as we're whittling it all down here with, yeah. with the Rachel aspect, I mean, you have this whole story mapped out with you could just go through this whole thing with just it being about these realizations about about Rachel and yeah. and everything that you almost don't need any of those extra side quests. I mean, they're cool and they sound fun, but are they really necessary? Yeah, this is a good question. I'm, I'm inclined <laughs> to think no, actually. Yeah. Uh, although I do kind of like the idea of, of of like Big Jake and Mr. Khan and these other characters, uh, uh, rather than being these these archetypal forms and beings in the afterlife. What if? What if there, you know, what if he has a small core of beta testers that are, <laughs> that, are that are working in here, and and as he's died, he expect he goes he he calls to them, he dials them up on the virtual display and calls to them, but he's dead, and in doing so, he starts pulling them into hell or into the after. He starts killing them literally by his attention. That's very interesting. I was trying to figure out a way to do that or something like it, and I think you've just given me the answer. I very much appreciate that. Yeah, that's what we're here for, man. That's what we're here <laughs> for. I mean, that suggests that the other aspect of the ticking bomb is that that's him. Right? Coming back to the issue of him being the antagonist, right? He has to be stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so that might be uh, become the um, again the which you suggested of describe the resolution that reigning in hell uh, the. That the other, you know, Rachel and the, and the other characters succeed in sealing him off. I guess the, 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 this the, that does raise the question of how is he able to do that, right? Why, if if, the, if he has gone to hell, 
or or that this afterworld. Why is he so powerful that he's able to draw other people in? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if the, the other alternative is that the, he he expects them to be beta testers, and so the 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 kind of demonic essences there adopt that form. Yeah, exactly. And 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 then I guess that's kind of what it is. It's kind of like it's almost like thaumaturgy. Where you know he expects it, therefore their form appears and they behave, you know, as he expects them to, because he's Lucifer. But yeah. but because you know we're we're talking about this this archetypal realm of of you know ultimate existence, uh, uh, there there's a connection to the actual being that 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 Smith has manifested, and you know that that draw. You know, it's it's not necessarily that he has the power to do that, but by invoking him, the power of the place has the power to do that. And w- through through Smith's desire to see this guy, he invokes that power. And as you say, he's the antagonist. He's the bad guy. He must be stopped. And and you know, part of it is releasing of that desire, that 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 kinship. Yeah. Does that, Dave? Does that help clarify that that dynamic a little bit? Yeah, I, I think that could because that also um, creates the. Um, I mean, that gives you the option of of considering some of the characters as being uh, reflections of himself, while still leaving open the possibility that other the characters really are other characters. Uh, and I guess the ultimately what what you're going to have to do is sit down and work out exactly what the arc is for all of these people, uh, mm-hmm. where where you want them to be at the end, uh, who you know what their 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 dramatic needs are. Uh, and I mean, if, since you have a character who's uh, you, you've moved the antagonist to the um, to the center, which uh, is has, has both possibilities and and challenges. Uh, but I mean, unlike say um, what Patricia Highsmith does with uh, uh, Tom Ripley, uh, where we are sympathizing with a sociopath. Uh, it sounds like uh, you. We are not meant to. We were, we were supposed to have some kind of distance from this guy, right? Is that would that be fair to say? Well, um, I kind of was thinking that. Uh, I, I should. I guess I should mention this is. Um, uh, I've got this writing this in uh, first person. Uh, present tense is what I've been using because of its uh, of the sort of the nature of the thing. Um, because everything is very immediate and it's, uh, it's, it's like being in, in a way he thinks he's inside a computer. And so there are certain elements of that. Um, I, uh, I was kind of, uh, thinking along the lines of that, uh, that advice that if you have a character who is reprehensible, that he does have to have redeeming qualities for the audience to attach to him. Absolutely. And so, uh, he does have redeeming qualities. Um, he is he has certain things that he is very good at and uh, certain things worthy of admiration. Well, and ultimately, um, I mean, if, if we take this to the natural conclusion, then the, 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 the resolution between him and Rachel yeah. is either a continuation of the, the conflict, the polarization of existence, or a unification uh, where he, he redeems himself and, and surrenders to the union with Rachel. Yeah, I, I think it would be interesting if ultimately he decides to do uh, what is the right thing, not for him, but for everyone else, um, whatever form that takes. Yeah, yeah. And so it is a struggle he's having with himself, and I kind of want the, the readers to be on the side of that part of him that is good. Okay, then I think the... I, mean, I guess coming back to something that, um, that that Jenny said about how busy this was, I think mm-hmm. that also applies to his character. I'm hearing mm. there's so many different things going on with this guy, yeah. right? Uh, all of that, and I guess the him being Lucifer as well um, is another whole layer on top of uh, him sorting out where, um, what, what's you know, coming to terms with himself and, and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, the, you know, being Prometheus and Lucifer, that's, yeah. this is, this is a lot, right? Yeah, the, those were aspects yeah. I wasn't planning to fully explore in this particular story, but could accordion out later. Uh, well, then how, how could we, how can we simplify him? How can we distill him down to make him a more manageable uh, protagonist and antagonist? 
I think one of the things, um, what Jim just said, you know, a few minutes ago that he wants to show his redeeming qualities, even though he's sort of like a bastard. Um, and, and he, you know, it almost sounds like he felt like that wasn't possible to do, but I mean, I think about, uh, Jeff Lindsay's Dexter, not particularly Dexter from the television show, but from the books, um, the Dexter of the books tends to be very, you know, no holds barred. Um, you don't get as much of the sympathetic quality that you do with television Dexter. So, so it can be done. So, so a clarity of, of purpose then uh or 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 a, de- a definitive un- unrelenting uh uh standard to which he holds himself something like that i mean you, we I need to know exactly who this guy is yeah um, and it needs right to be simple bat, it needs to be laser sharp yeah, it needs to be very simple um in your face right from the beginning Th- this guy is either a bastard or he's not <laughs> i mean you need to decide <laughs> well right the- right at the beginning what kind of person he is and if he doesn't have redeeming qualities you can still make readers like him well i I, it seems like you know being being a a a creator of virtual worlds uh uh in in his mortal life i mean he's an artist right he's he's compelled to create uh and and is, is constantly in search of beauty uh, even terrible beauty, even even horrifying beauty, but also transcendent beauty, and and you know it, his issue could be that his search for that has blinded him to the beauty that's around him, the beauty of the love of his wife, of his friends, of of you know the 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 good that he's done to the world. He 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 has cast that aside in, in search of the next creative thing. Mm-hmm. Nice. So the other thing I would I would uh, 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 flag that on the uh, when you mentioned writing this first person present tense, which yeah, um, I mean you, you, you're not making your life easy <laughs> doing that. Oh yeah, why do, uh, why make my life easy? Really? <laughs> yeah, uh, on the one hand, I, the yeah, the making him uh, given to us in first person is going to make it perhaps easier for us to. Uh, get on board with somebody who may well be a bastard simply because when we have that as the that that's our identification character or, that, or that's the character at the center of the narrative we kind of default to uh being interested in that person uh so i guess that's the other thing too he may be a complete bastard uh uh you know as, as was saying but he has to be re- an in, a really interesting one mm-hmm. the other thing though it, by limiting us to first person that's going to make it all the more um, challenging to uh, not have the other characters fade away to to supporting props, mm. so uh, you'll that's something you'll you'll really need to watch for. Well, I think the present tense is going to be very limiting too. Yeah, that can be also a hard sell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Guys, I'm I'm watching the clock tick down here. We need to we need to wrap this up, but wow, it's <laughs> good stuff. Uh, let's take one more trip. Actually, Jim, is there anything else that that you really hoped that we would touch on that we haven't? Um, honestly, you've given me some really awesome stuff. Um, okay. so it's uh, yeah, I, I I I am uh, I am well pleased. <laughs> I, uh, there, there's there's plenty. I I had never really thought about uh, about making making him that powerful in this story as far as, as you guys are talking about, but uh, there may be some options there if we want, if I want to go that way. Um, but there, lots of very juicy character stuff that I really want to, uh, uh, sit down and unfold and dig into. Outstanding. Outstanding. Literary gold achieved. Yes. Uh, so let's take one last trip around the table real quick and just give Jim, uh, some last minute advice, anything that you maybe didn't get a chance to tell him during the actual workshop, uh, but just fill his pockets with some literary gold and some 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 words of wisdom to send him on his way david we'll start with you sir uh i guess i would uh, just reiterate something that jenny brought up right at the beginning uh regarding the, the busyness of it and so uh to really work hard on sorting out your structure i mean i would really uh as basic as it is plot out your three acts uh and you know know what your plot points your your midpoint uh uh, are and is and uh, so you can see the arc really clearly and then along with that 
really uh, get yourself good solid bios uh, for all of your major characters, including uh, including Smith, but but uh, very much Rachel and the others, and so we know you know uh, where they're going in this story, what uh, what they seek to achieve, and whether they will or not. I think that's excellent advice. Yeah, Jim Pansing got you this far, but I think with the complexity <laughs> and depth that has been uncovered here, I, I think you're going to need to do some outlining, dude. Might uh, be a good idea. Uh, yeah. Just some rough outlines. <laughs> Jennifer, what about you, ma'am? Uh, last minute, last thoughts for Master Jim. Um, I was just going to say almost the same thing that David said. <laughs> I think he, he needs to sit down and spend a little more time getting to know his characters. Yeah. So that as he's writing them, they become clear, real people. Mm-hmm. And the dynamics between them and the relationships mm-hmm. between them, that, that connective tissue creates all sorts of wonderful tensions and, and conflicting objectives. That's the, the essence of a good story, I think. And that's the stuff that's going to make people feel like they know who these people are. Yeah. 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 And thank you. And I appreciate that. The, the, the last thing I want is for this, the, the other characters to become flatter or a secondary, especially the female characters. They need to be um, their own and awesome and basically kicking ass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, if you bring in the beta testers, uh, uh, you know, have it be a mix so you can have those that, 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 scope of perception uh in in the in the supporting characters as well um for myself uh definitely reiterating what what david and jenny said um but i I will also add uh lawrence sanders wrote a an incredible story and god it's utterly escaping me right now but the whole thing the entire story was told from the perspective of police reports and interview transcriptions and newspaper articles that when connected together in, in quasi pseudo chronological order told this epic story. And, you know, we were talking earlier on, I think my first, what if was, you know, bringing in outside bits uh, uh, that, that affirmed the outside world uh, and serve as a, a cue for the drama that's unfolding on the inside world. Um, I, I really think that would be a, a very cool uh, tool to to ground the events that are going on because this has the potential to be this very, very esoteric, uh, uh, very subjective world. And and having you know interview transcripts from the the beta testers you know as as they try to understand what happened uh during the gas explosion or whatever you decide mm-hmm. is is the catalyzing event uh, uh could be a really cool tool to to counterpoint the the events going on in the afterlife uh with the the grounded events and and perceptions in the real world so just a just just my two bits tossing it out there <laughs> so so Jim, here's the deal, my man. Uh, 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 this is this is the standing offer for for all guest writers here on the roundtable that you take what we have given you, use it, don't use it, it doesn't matter. But you write this story, you 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 bring it into the world. However, it comes into the world, it doesn't matter. But as soon as that happens and it's out there working its mojo on readers uh, in in the wilds, we will have you back, sir, and we will not only make you a knight of the round table. We will make you a Lord of hell in the round table and, and there'll be brimstone and, and demons and darkness. And we will make that happen. Sir. Uh, how could I possibly resist an offer like that? That's the thing. That's it right there. That's the carrot. We want to make that happen. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, so, David Annandale, thank you so much for for sharing so generously of your insights. Some some really keen focusing elements in there that I really think just just added a, a whole layer of awesome mojo to this brainstorm. Thank you so much, sir. Oh, thank you very much. It's been great. Yeah, absolutely. And Jenny, uh, uh, wow, do you want to do this again? Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. I'm I'm gonna keep your chair uh, dusted and and properly polished, uh, uh, so we can have you back again because you're an awesome co-host. Thank you so much for your contributions. This has been great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. 
And as long as we're doling out gratitude, dear friends, thank you for tuning in. Uh, you complete the circuit for us. Without you, we're shouting into the into hell. And that's no fun at all. Uh, uh, so thank you for tuning in. If, if, you're, if you're feeling the love, you're, you're rocking the vibe, you want to pay it forward a little bit, give us a review out on iTunes. That always helps. And thank you so much for all of those awesome reviews that are out there now. Uh, it's really helped pump us up. And actually, we show up in the search criteria now, which is kind of badass. Uh, we also have a forum now, and this episode will be posted up in the Roundtable forums. You can get the, get to those at our website, www.roundtablepodcast.com. Uh, there's a forum link in the menu bar, uh, and there's also a link right in this particular post. So go in there. We can continue the discussion uh, and, and keep waxing rhapsodic on the awesomeness of this very cool story concept. Uh, so, uh Wow. <laughs> my, I'm, I'm, I'm lighting a cigarette even as we speak because that was just freaking awesome. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and the, the, the fabulous thing is, is that, you know, as cool as this was, it starts all over again next week. Next week, we have another awesome guest host bringing, bringing his or her fabulous mojo to the story discussion. We have another courageous guest writer bringing cool story ideas for us to brainstorm more roundtable fabulosity for all to be had so but that's a week from now that's a long way away jenny what should they be doing between now and then i think they need to be out there writing i think so too i think they need to be tapping on the keyboard and putting their mojo in the world so friends you find what you're looking for so look for the top shelf blue label goodness and i promise you you will find it We'll be back in one week with more Roundtable Fabulosity. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.